You're listening to That'll Preach. This is a weekly show on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. I'm Brian. I'm joined by Paul. We're going to be diving into all things theology and culture, all things... All things C.S. Lewis. All things C.S. Lewis. That's what we're doing right now. We're doing a uh, series on C.S. Lewis on his book, Mere Christianity. Yeah, it's been exciting. Which is a classic. Yep. And you've been following along. You know that uh, it's just a gift that keeps on giving. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is, you just, you just read, I mean, I, Mere Christianity, I, I read it a couple times, you know, not to brag or anything. You read it like every single day before bed, Brian. Exactly. And uh, it's amazing how much more you get out of it every time you read it. I mean, it really, I mean, people say that about some books and you're like, you're lying. We get it. You're smart. You're just trying to show off. But for real, this book, uh, every time I read it, it's like just something fresh, something new. You know, it's just a great book. It's full of hot takes. Full of hot takes. About life. Speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of hot takes. Like that transition there. It's your hot take. I know. So hot take it away. Hot diggity dog. That was weird. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> this one's going to be insightful. So brace yourself, Brian. People equate niceness and goodness, and that's not a good thing. People equate niceness with goodness. Yeah. So people say that being nice is equal right. to being a good person. And not being nice is equivalent to being bad. But when we, what we say when we say nice, what we mean when we say nice is more just not stirring the pot, not rocking the boat, never saying anything offensive. You know, just like you're, you, know, you picture like, I don't know, the old lady that helps out at church in the nursery care afterwards. That's and a bad that, thing, right? <laughs> that's bad. You're saying that's a bad, you should a bad never. <laughs> person for doing that. No, we have like a very flimsy, impoverished view of what it is to be a good person. And it always amounts to just being like, you know, never offensive. Being nice ne- is like being harmless. Yeah. Agreeing. Innocuous. Trying, yeah. yeah. Oftentimes that's really, it's really just another word for cowardice. Ooh, preach. Yeah. That's what they, th- I mean, when you look at the list that the Apostle Paul puts on like people who don't inherit the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. it's all the heavy hitters, you know, sexual morality, all, all the bad stuff, but there's Murder, also cowardice. Cowardice. Cowardice is one, is, yeah. is there too. And oftentimes we don't talk about that, that there's a, co- you know, we, we, we'll, we'll often count the cost of if we say something. Mm-hmm. What about the cost if we don't say something? Yeah. You know, so being nice and being compliant isn't always a good thing. In fact, you to be a good person, what's that? Quote from Narnia. Oh, the, the Mr. Beaver about Aslan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's not. Uh, yeah, he's not a tame lion, but he's good in reference to Aslan. Right. He's not. Yeah. He's not safe. He's not he's safe. Not safe. He's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And so being safe and being good aren't the same thing. Right. You, know, you, yeah. you you actually want to have people who uh, are able to be dangerous for the right reasons. Like Jesus, he flipped like over Jesus. tables. Right. Yeah, and he spoke mm-hmm. very. Pointedly. Pointedly, directly, mm-hmm. calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Yeah. Didn't Sons really, of Satan. Yeah. Didn't really care about what people thought about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, wasn't trying to nice people into the kingdom of God. He was very straightforward. He would just straight up be like, if you don't want to follow me, you don't have to. Yeah. He'd just keep going forward. He was a man on a mission. So we often, that vision of Jesus is obscured by our, you know, modern sensibility of niceness. And, yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, we can often think that just because someone's nice that they're a good person when really they could be you don't want them to be you don't want someone being nice to about you know hitler or, yeah, or yeah, nazism yeah. or something like that yeah. i mean that's an extreme case but you want people to have a backbone and have convictions and be willing to fight for what's worthwhile yeah you don't want someone who's just gonna like 
go along with injustice or just sort of be status quo when it's the world is terrible. Too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's self-preservation. Yeah. But uh, all right. Nice. Okay. So That's, nice. Yeah. Nicest and goodness, not the same thing. Remember that. Don't be nice to anyone. Don't be a nice guy or else you'll nice never guy. go on a date with a girl. You know what? There's some science behind that. There is. I know. You love all this stuff. It's true. You're like Why the, do the girls like the bad boys? The science psychology dating guru. You know what? You're right. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's a very nice thing for you to say, Paul, oh, thanks. by the way. Not a good thing, but a nice thing. But a thing. nice thing. But a nice thing. I'll take it. Speaking about good and bad and morality, that's what we've been talking about. Or what, rather, C.S. Lewis has been talking about. And we've just been writing his coattails. We've just been, exactly. Mm. But uh, in book two, wait, this is book two, right? This is book three. This is book three. Yeah. Book three. Just kidding. Uh, We're looking at chapters or sections three and four of book three. Mm -hmm. And uh, because- It's like we're citing the Bible. I know, right? (laughs) Chapter and verse. Go to see it. (laughs) View Christianity, verse three, chapter (laughs) chapter three, verse five. But uh, Lewis- in these two chapters, talks about social morality and he talks about psychology, which yeah. is really, and I guess by the time Lewis wrote this, psychology was sort of in its infancy. Yeah, just taking off. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure things out. But uh, what I love about this is a lot of things that Lewis says are still very relevant today. I mean, it's not as though now we're suddenly dealing with sexual morality. Now we're suddenly dealing with confusion and, mm. and, and relativism and all these things. These are things that are creeping onto the scene in C.S. Lewis's day, and he has a foresight to see them. Yeah. And so a lot of his insights are still very applicable today. Mm. I mean, dare I say prophetic? Ooh. Yeah. Look at that, going all Pentecostal. I know, right? <laughs> but uh, in one of the first things he introduces in this little section on what he calls social morality is that moral teachers, the good ones, they don't introduce new moralities. I love that. It's only quacks and cranks who do that. Mm-hmm. His words. Yeah, right? yeah. In other words, <laughs> if you're a great moral teacher, you're not going to be inventing new moral laws or ideas. Right. You're really just going to be um, rearticulating and strengthening those great truths that we've known. Yeah. And we're not even just talking about Christianity, but through all the great philosophers and great thinkers. Just common grace. Common, common grace insights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And... Uh, he, he says, uh, he quotes somebody else, Dr. Johnson, who says, uh, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. Ooh, that's a great bumper sticker. Right. And it kind of flows in with the idea of those who don't learn from history or are destined to repeat it. Yeah, yeah. Where we want to learn from history, not just to avoid the things that are bad, but to celebrate and conserve the things that are good. Yeah, yeah. That are, that are right, that are true, that have been passed down through generations. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you might think like... <clears throat> Well, we only got rid of slavery in the U.S. fairly recently, like 1860s. So here someone might say, well, that's an instance of a new moral teaching. When Lewis would go, no, that's us being reminded of a moral truth that was widely known and everybody knows we'd just forgotten it or needed to be prodded and reminded of it. So it's never really new. The new stuff is only with like the quacks and basically the cult leaders. Like that's what Lewis is trying to say. And that's... You think about Martin Luther King, all he was doing was appealing to Augustine, Aquinas, right. scripture, yeah. And to our constitution, mm-hmm. all men are, or to, you know, to, is it the, Const- the Declaration of Independence? What, what Declaration of Independence. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and he, he was quoting Augustine left, right, and center. Right. Like that unjust law is not a law. Right. Like he's not making this up. It's all he's in the mining ancients. the best of our political, philosophical traditions to mm-hmm. say, this is what we've known. We're just not applying it correctly. Exactly. Right. And all great 
reformation happens that way. So let's continue on with what he's getting at, because that, that's a great way to start it, where it's just basically like, you know, let's not discount the wisdom of the ages past. And let's yeah. actually see that we probably need a little more of a dose of that hmm. so we can make some good assessments now. Um, and also not even just how the morality of the past or just philosophy, ideas, these things, they don't just inform our morality in general. They inform our Christianity. This is what Lewis says about Christianity. Um, he says that that is not how Christianity works. When it, speaking of Christianity, tells you to feed the hungry, it does not give you lessons in cookery. When it tells you to read the scriptures, it does not give you lessons in Hebrew and Greek or even in English grammar. It was never intended to replace or supersede the ordinary human arts and sciences. It is rather a director which will set them all to the right jobs and a source of energy which will give them all new life if only they will put themselves at its disposal. So what Lewis is saying is that we are not putting, quote unquote, secular resources or non-Christian resources against scripture Christianity. Right. Rather, Christianity is something that gives new life to those resources. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the Bible doesn't teach you, like he says, it doesn't teach you Hebrew or Greek or even English. Yeah. You have to know those things first so that you can read the Bible rightly. But once you know English and you read the Bible, uh, Christianity brings new life to the language arts because now they're communicating God's truth. Mm. So Lewis has a high view of common grace, that yeah. God shows grace to people who don't believe in him, that he gives us language, mm -hmm. he gives us art, he gives us logic, philosophy, all these things as tools to understand his revelation. And sometimes that can be missed. And, and it goes back to the classic, you know, what was it? I think Aquinas said that, that grace does not destroy, but perfects nature. Yeah, yeah. Grace does not destroy nature. It perfects it. It does not... Uh, God does not make us something other than human when he saves us, but rather he perfects our humanity, mm. right? He's not replacing us with something else. Yeah. He's yeah. redeeming us. And in the same way, he's not going to replace ordinary human arts and sciences, but rather through Christianity, he gives him new life, new meaning, a new kind of vitality that didn't have before. One other thing he says just on that note is uh, this great little Christian literature comes from Christian novelists and dramatists not from the bench of bishops getting together, trying to write plays and novels in their spare time. Right. Meaning like, it's not the job of Christian ministry to do all of the arts and all of the beautiful things that, you know, we enjoy. Otherwise you end up with, I'm going to say it, God's not dead, right? You're going to end up with like movies that are cheesy, wonky, corny. Yeah, shot, that, that could be another hot take. But yeah, yeah, so sometimes Christian arts tends to look a little bit shallow and it's because we expect it to come directly from people. So we think that the people most equipped to do arts are those who are most equipped in Christianity, like ministers. Whereas Lewis is saying that Christianity elevates the, the laity to be able to do good, beautiful things. And it's Christian in its being good and beautiful, right? It's like the, the apocryphal story of the shoemaker who goes to Luther and says, how can I partake in the Reformation? And Luther says, make good shoes, right? You don't need to put crosses on your shoes. You don't need to do silly things like that. But just doing good work, doing good art as a Christian is how you glorify God and, and, and elevates um, the work that you do and makes it good. Well, it, it, this is such a good reminder of 
Yeah, like just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that you have the best political theory. Yeah. Or that you're an expert on psychology or mm -hmm. any of these things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we conflate those ideas. I think that a pastor is meant to exegete the word of God. He's meant to take it, expound it. He's meant to uh, explain the meaning of the text. Right. And he has to have the tools and the understanding to do that. <clears throat> but I don't think he should cross over into areas that he's not equipped to speak competently on. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. He, yeah. he shouldn't yeah. be expected to do that. Yeah. In the same way, you look at God's Not Dead. The problem with God's Not Dead is it has an inaccurate portrayal of atheist professors. Yeah, right. You know, and uh, it's it's what a Christian thinks those circles are like. Mm. And so it's not a reality and, yeah. and, it, yeah, yeah. and people can see through it. And I think Lewis is exactly right. You don't want a bench of bishops writing plays and novels in their spare time. You mm -hmm. want good novelists. Exactly. And I think that's a liberating view of Christians in the public sphere mm -hmm. where, you know, it's the pastor's job to inform the conscience of his congregants. That's a good way of putting it. Right? Yeah. To, to instill in them proper theology and doctrine. Mm-hmm. But then they go out with those changed consciences into the different spheres of life, whether in banking or teaching or being a doctor, writing plays and novels, writing music, being a caretaker, whatever it is. And then they have to apply their mind yeah. with the scriptures to their individual situations. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's like, look, I don't know how a doctor should live out their Christian faith, but a doctor who's a Christian probably does. So I'm gonna to try to inform their Christian faith and let right. them mm -hmm. make those calls. Yeah. It's not a pastor's job to dictate every little thing. And, uh, and nor should it be a pastor's job to prescribe medicine. Yeah, You know what I mean? <laughs> and I mean, that, that's, and I think that that's something that comes from a very, and I, I doubt that there's very many people who actually think that pastors should prescribe medicine, but that same principle can be applied to things like politics yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or things like even commenting on current events. Sure. When it's like, maybe you're not the best person to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think there needs to be some humility about that. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we've talked a lot about on the podcast. This idea that God cares that we be formed into specific kinds of people rather than that we produce certain kinds of work. So the emphasis is on how how does the Christian life manifest in my work? Well, it manifests in once I have this, this virtuous character, once I'm being sanctified, then it makes my work honest and clean and it makes my motivations pure. And that's the stuff that God cares about rather than like, like, what does it mean to do Christian biology? It just means to do biology well, like to do to do groundbreaking stuff, interesting, cool, honest work, right? So that that's what's more important. And I think that's the thing that Lewis is hitting on there, that the goal is formation, like the, the character of the person becoming elevated and the work becoming elevated as a result of that. But the emphasis is not on the output, it's on the person. Right. And, and it's, again, like you're saying, how do you do Christian biology? You just do biology, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and it goes back to his earlier point where he doesn't replace the sciences or the arts, right? Exactly. But yeah. now you are a, you, in a sense, everything you do because you're a Christian is Christian biology. Yeah. Or, 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 or I'm no. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's everything you do yeah. is Christian. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you're a banker and you're a Christian, I mean, I it's guess still they're Christian doing Christian biology. Banking, right. Yeah. Right. It's still <laughs> Christian biology. Exactly. <laughs> But, uh, but that character formation angle is really key. Yeah. And I think that Lewis is so great on this. And he 
not only talks about how God is more concerned about the kind of person you are than necessarily how you exactly do things, mm-hmm. although that is important. Uh, he's also really perceptive about what real virtue is. Yeah. And I know you love this quote because it's about charity. I do. And you love charity, right? He, he talks about uh, how for many of us, the great obstacle to charity lies not in our luxurious living or desire for more money, but in our fear, fear of insecurity. This must be often recognized as a temptation. Sometimes our pride also hinders our charity. We're tempted to spend more than we ought on the showy forms of generosity, tipping, hospitality, and less than we ought on those who really need our help. Yeah. So he, he exposes a kind of, I don't want to say false kind of charity, but it's not really what is heart transformative. It's the kind of charity that you leave a nice tip. Mm-hmm. Well, that is great. Or you are very hospitable. You, you, you welcome people into your home and you, whatever. That, that's all great. Yeah. But it's it comes with recognition it comes with recognition so, there's a so it could be a backdoor way to yeah. pride and mm-hmm. lewis is always great at finding those back doors to yep. sin how, which, how which we, we can all do, do. That, which yeah. we all do and instead he's saying well yes maybe tip the people fine yeah but don't mistake that as the same thing as helping those who are actually in need right right mm-hmm. and because when you help those in need well, there are times when you can get accolades for it. But sure. in general, you don't want to do that. And in fact, Jesus warns against that, yeah. right? When you give, don't let your right hand know right. what your left hand don't is Don't do this for notoriety. Yeah. Don't do this for the praise of a man. Do this because it's right and mm-hmm. it's out of love. Yeah. And uh, this is something that Lewis, again, recognizes as a temptation. Our yeah. pride hinders it and our, our fear, our insecurity, our worry hinders us from being charitable. Um, I mean, one of the things that he he hits on pretty pretty profoundly is this idea that most of us, not just Christians, but in the West, we conceive of charity as it's a good thing to do, it's kind, but it's not required. And Lewis points out that no, when you look at the gospels, the way Jesus talks about charity is this is a requirement of Christian morality. It's something that we have to do. It's not, it's not optional. Uh, when Jesus talks about the parable of the sifting from the sheep and the goats at the end, Lewis talks about this. That's in terms of Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. And so that, that element of morality is really embedded into the Christian uh, worldview. And so Lewis essentially says, if we're not giving enough, that if, if we're not giving so that what we're giving affects our lifestyles, then we're not giving enough. So if you can give, tithe, whatever, and it doesn't affect the way you live practically, then you got to question and ask, am I not giving enough, right? Am I just giving from my wealth in the same way that, you know, when Jesus was at the temple and people were giving massive gifts and the little widow goes and gives the two pennies, he said she gave more than everyone else because she gave from her poverty. There, she gave so that it actually affected her life. It was difficult for her to live and she gave from that poverty. Um, so that's the kind of lesson that we're encouraged to, to take from there is if you're giving and it's not actually affecting how you live your life practically, then you might not be giving enough. And that's difficult because we want to find a way to do on the face oh, yeah. of things what the text is saying. But not actually have a change. But not actually have a change. <laughs> yeah. And I know that's my temptation. I know that's temptation for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Mine too. And uh, I mean, there's temptations of the poverty gospel where it's like the more you suffer, the more God loves you or something like that. Yeah. Or, or, you know, just saying that like 
using, uh, for example, we need to care more about the poor. And really, you're using that to distract from also talking about sexual morality yeah. and our culture and the gender confusion, all these things. But it's like, okay, let's put all that aside. You still, like, there still is a call to the poor. Absolutely. Right? And there still is a call to be sacrificial or giving. Mm-hmm. And you can't pick and choose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You have to both and. and. And Lewis talks about that where he says, most of us, and this is a paraphrase, we're approaching Christianity, hoping to find support for the views of our own party. Mm. We're looking for an ally when where we are offered either a master or a judge. That's that'll preach, mm-hmm. right? How many of us already have a preconceived conclusion about what we want? The text is saying we go in looking for confirmation of that. And uh, I never do that. I know, <laughs> but it, especially in our political climate today, everybody's trying to claim Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus is either you know the American mascot, or he's like, you know, the, whatever, what do the people say? Like he's a brown skin immigrant who was under. Oh yeah. I've I mean, definitely heard that. Trope. And it's yeah. like, but he wasn't an immigrant. He was a Roman citizen. And it's just like, yeah, not exactly. <laughs> They're trying to make up something he's not, but everybody's trying yeah. to claim him for political purposes. Yeah. And, uh, instead of being like, what, what does he say he is? Right. Or who does he say he is? Mm-hmm. And what does he, speak about and, and 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 you'll find that he is something offensive for everybody no matter yeah. what political party or what ideology you subscribe to um but again it, it goes to a deeper question of he's not an ally to our causes right right he's either a master and he's or he's a judge and mm-hmm. you know i mean there, there's we ha- we can't get it twisted what our relationship is to him and i think lewis identifies that and says look yeah, he even says it himself. He says, I'm the same way, right? There are bits in this section that I wanted to leave out. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so he admits, he's like, I didn't like writing some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but it really tells you there, like, if if you line up perfectly with your political party line, you're not embracing the whole of the Christian worldview. Right, right, right. So if, so if Christianity is really radical and otherworldly and all of this stuff, if the kingdom of God is truly a unique place and a unique vision, then we shouldn't be expected or we shouldn't be surprised when it doesn't look like the left or the right, right? When it incorporates some elements and when it has elements that neither party or nowhere incorporates. So there it's just a, it's a, it's a charge to caution and it's a charge to self-evaluation that, you know, I might have this affiliation, but where, what's missing here and what's good on the other side. And, you know, I think it's just, it's a reminder that parties are fallible and platforms are fallible and the gospel is not going to be neatly represented by any one view. Now, it goes from the political sphere, like you're talking about, if if you're really aligned with Christ, you're you're not going to be aligned with either party. Mm -hmm. That isn't to say that every party- Not perfectly. Right. It isn't to say that every party is equally- Sure. Close or far to the Christian ethic. Right. So right. Nazism, very far away. Right. <laughs> but uh, it is to say that yeah. Jesus doesn't fit in those categories. Uh, so so Lewis talks about politics, but then, but then he moves to psychology, interestingly enough. And yeah. again, psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. what, what I, is psychoanalysis like that's like I think that's that's the Freudian stuff, the Freudian like, stuff, that was, that was like how your parents root. affect you and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like trying to understand someone's mental states based off of environment and their behavior and things like that and yeah giving giving causal explanations for why people do what they do right and so here's an example of lewis taking insights and trying to understand how they can illuminate certain truths about christianity 
Right. And he's also critical, I would mm -hmm. say. Yeah. So he's not wholesale buying it, but he's saying there are some tools here that help us understand some things about Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks about how we, uh, we either have uh, normal feelings that are common to all men, or we have unnatural feelings due to things that have gone wrong in our subconscious. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so those, you know, th there's, there's the act of choosing that happens in a moral choice. Mm -hmm. And then there are these feelings and impulses that he's sort of born with or affected early on in his childhood. So I think that's an accurate, somewhat accurate way of understanding how the mind works. I mean, if you read Jonathan Haidt, Righteous Mind, he mm. talks about how our minds are like a rider and elephant. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. The, the rider is our will, our, just, our, our mind, our rationality. The elephant is our subconscious, our emotions. And uh, the rider guides the elephant. But if the elephant gets spooked, it's going to throw the rider off. Mm. And so oftentimes we think, or rather we feel first, and then we think to justify those feelings. Yeah. And Lewis isn't exactly saying that here, but he's touching on that reality where he's basically like, look, it's not just, we're not just in a vacuum making moral choices. Right. We have an underlying psychology. We have a subconscious. We have feelings and impulses and emotions. And we're shaped by our environments. And Right. Mm -hmm. And we're shaped by our environments. Yeah. And, uh, but what's interesting is he talks about how um, a man who has been Perverted from his youth, that's his words. Mm -hmm. he's, he's had a rough childhood. Yeah. Um, and does it who does a tiny kindness uh is and he speculates, might be in God's eyes doing more than you and I if we gave up our life for a friend. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I totally buy that whole, you know, moral equivalency, but I get the point that he's making. Yeah. Where we don't all start off in the same place in terms of morality. I mean, I think mm -hmm. we can all understand that if you grew up abused, you're gonna have it, it's gonna be more difficult. To perform certain moral actions, I would assume. Yeah. But that when you do them, you're actually, you're basically making it more ground mm -hmm. than the average person. Yeah. And uh, that's an interesting insight that he observes that, to, to say that, so then a person with a rough childhood who shows some kindness, you got to realize he's overcoming a lot mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. More space than it would be for us to give money to a homeless person. And, like I mean, that. there's another place where that, that same example of the widow giving two pennies is actually a help, good way of understanding what's going on. So imagine two people, one who has a really fantastic, phenomenal upbringing and one who has a horrible, screwed up upbringing. Uh, for that person who has the terrible upbringing, the small act of kindness there, it is they're giving from their poverty in the same way that that widow was giving from her poverty. She, she doesn't have much. That person doesn't have much but they're doing all that they can, right? To overcome all of those horrible tendencies pushed into them. Whereas, you know, the person who grew up in a great family, if they do something, you know, amazingly generous, they're sort of like drawing from more resources. And so that's the point. I mean, it's, there's gonna be lots of cases where, you know, we just don't know and we're not in a place to judge. But Lewis is saying, at least in principle, have some sympathy for where people are coming from. And he says that God judges people based on the totality of their circumstances and not just the external actions. So you can't just look and take it as a one for one. This person was really generous. This person only did this really tiny deed here. That might weigh more than the really generous right. act. Right, how God because, weighs it is exactly. different than we think. We, and he also, going again with inner virtue and, and our motivations, he talks about how habit changes us, changes our character. Rather, the choices, the continued choices we make yeah. are forming us into a, into a particular kind of person. 
He says, uh, I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than what it was before. Right? And in a very real sense, you you have okay, so you have we all start off in different places. Mm-hmm. Right. We all start with different families, different experiences that affect us in different ways. Yep. But we still have this agency, this ability to make choices mm-hmm. that can transform our character, either for ill or for good. And that is something that Lewis is very focused on. The, the power of our moral choices in not just affecting the world, but affecting ourselves, transforming us degree to degree into a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. And not just moral choices, but but everything, like everything that we do makes us a certain kind of person and and reinforces in us a habit or a trait and makes it easier to do that thing the next time we do it, right? So it's 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 a view that sees every choice as sort of powerful for shaping the future of who I am. Nothing is innocuous, nothing is disconnected from who I am. Every time I I walk out the door and do something, it it makes me into a certain kind of person. And every time I decide to stay home and not like it's making me so everything is forming me. And so he has this view of I am taking a really active role in shaping the kind of person that I am so that each second that passes, I'm a different kind of person than what I was in the previous instant. And that's so helpful when you think about sanctification, the process of being holy, because so often we fall into a trap of this. We did something sinful, nothing happened. Yeah. No lightning bolt Mm -hmm. from the sky. But something did happen. Yeah. It's something did happen. And Lewis talks about that. He says... Each has done something to himself, which, unless he repents, will make it harder for him to keep out of the out of the rage. He's talking about anger. Mm-hmm. Next time he's tempted, and will yeah. make the rage worse than when he does fall into it. So basically, if you don't repent, if you don't snip it in the bud, mm-hmm. it'll be harder to resist next time, and the next time, and the next time, until yeah. your conscience is so seared that you don't even feel any guilt or shame over it anymore. And and man, I mean, that's so true. It's I mean, a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be, and you realize. You know, the adultery five years from now starts today. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, the things you cultivate in your heart now, when they're given full bloom 10 years from now, could be devastating mm-hmm. to yourself, to your family, to everything. So that vigilance you need to have, not being over, you know, s- sensitive to every little thing, but but a, a, a real sober-mindedness about your own heart. You know? Yeah. Um when people talk about, for example, like something like premarital sex, and, and oftentimes people talk about it like, well, if you, if you don't have sex before marriage, then it's going to be like like fireworks when you get married or whatever, right? <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> oh, it's just like, I, I just, it just seems like people yeah, will be yeah, like, yeah. don't you want to yeah. give that gift? And, right, and there right. is something precious to that, but yeah. really, it's not a magic <laughs> equation. It's like, why do you want to refrain from premarital sex? Because you're training yourself to not be selfish, mm-hmm. to not make life about your pleasure. You're training yourself to love. Right? You're trying to become the kind of person that can restrain their lusts yeah. for what's good. Yeah. And that's going to be conducive to a good marriage. Yeah. It's not a magic thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so practicing charity, practicing self-control, practicing, you know, service, they may not have immediate effects, but you're becoming a kind of person. You make it easier to do the next time you do it. Right. Which is like that example of the sled going down the hill. The first time you go down, 
there are no grooves there yet for the sled. Mm -hmm. But the second time you do it, it's a little bit easier because you've got the, the tracks. The third time, the fourth time, whether for good or for ill, whether, right. whether what right. we're talking about you is charity going off a cliff. or rage. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, so it, it makes it second nature. What you do like builds habits and those habits make your second nature. And that second nature, Lewis says, is either going to be like a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. It's either a creature that's going to live in harmony with God and people or be really hostile to and want to be rebellious. And so many of the things and the habits that we go, they just come natural to us. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about things like anxiety. How much of it is, is it is just a habit? And you, it feels natural just because yeah. it's been grooved into you. Yeah. And how, and they've actually done studies on, on neurology about that, where it's like, or neuroscience, where it's like, um, when you have an addiction, there's a, a neural a neural connection between yeah. the pleasure centers and that mm -hmm. action. And that to overcome that, you actually have to create a new connection over yep. it. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So you have to replace old habits with new ones. Yeah. And uh, I think there's a lot of Christian truth to that, where it's like, no, you, you got to like, practice being a christian yeah because what you're naturally going to do what you're habituated into doing is going to be against that mm -hmm. and part of discipleship is learning those practices and, and 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 really thinking about the choices you're making every day yeah they're making you into type of i mean it's just like physically mm -hmm. your food choices every day yeah are shaping your body into a certain type of body mm -hmm. and shaping your health in a certain direction yeah. Or yeah yeah good and uh if, if you're listening to this and you're going like man, like I really need to nip this whatever in the bud right now. That's a good sign. And Lewis says, if people have that reaction, it's because moderately bad men know that they're not very good. The The, the scary part is when you don't feel like right. a, an evil person doesn't know that they're evil. Right. He right? He's good. He's fine. Right. Like he, in his own eyes. So if you, if you're ever, so, so this is kind of like a healthy little like spiritual tip. When you feel conviction, that's a good thing. When you feel like, oh man, that was a bad thing that I did. I shouldn't do that. I need to get out of this. Like, you know, we get the college students asking all the time, like, am I saved? Like, how do I know? So Lewis here gives one sort of like, this is how you like spiritually diagnose. Moderately bad people know that they're bad. It's only when you don't feel anything and you think you're totally in the clear, then that's when you like it's it's almost like the point of no return because you think like you have nothing you think you're all good you think everything is going well you've taken stock you think there's nothing missing and so yeah the moderately bad person knows that they're bad the totally evil corrupt person thinks that they're good and that's terrifying right you can understand these are his words you can understand sleep when you're awake not while you're sleeping yeah mm -hmm. you can see mistakes in arithmetic when your mind is working properly while you're making them you can't see them you can understand the nature of drunkenness when you are sober, not when you are drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Man. Great <clears throat> contrast. Yeah. Master of words. So we covered a lot. We did. We did Basically, everything. Yeah. I mean, we looked at psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis morality, morality, how, how charity, you know, great moral teachers are just, yep. Bringing to light Reminding. old truths. Yeah, yeah. And these old truths help us to understand Christianity. Mm -hmm. Christianity gives new life to the arts and sciences. We so talked if you want about to be God's a good, dead. Yeah, if you want to be a good Christian musician, just be a Christian and write good music. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not left for just theologians to do all these things. Exactly. Right? It's the common people. 
And uh, also that your choices matter. They're mm. forming you into a certain type of person. So we got to be vigilant about that. Yeah. Think about that. And the fact that you're concerned about some of your choices shows that you have. That's a good thing. A moral compass. Yeah. Capitalize on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Thank you guys for listening to this. Please leave a review and uh, share this with your friends. And we'll be back next week continuing our series on C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm.